hard to believe this is the 114th quack cast. On the other hand, I'm almost at 500 gobbets of pus and I don't know how many pus casts. I just keep yammering on. This particular quack cast is called Boundaries. Vaccination and then taxes have consumed my focus for the last two weeks, and I have had little time to devote to issues of infectious diseases, much less quackery. So instead, I will meander around a more philosophical terrain. I feel a little guilty that I do not have a substantive data-driven podcast evaluating a paper or essay in detail, but some weeks there is just not the time. Being involved with various aspects of science-based medicine has been, like all good intellectual endeavors, a process rather than a result. I keep experimenting with conceptual frameworks with which I can understand the differences between, say, science-based medicine and scams, i.e. supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine approach. Nothing clarifies thoughts quite like writing them down and then podcasting them. Or maybe not. The motto of the Science-Based Medicine blog is exploring relationships between science and medicine. But it is often more about the non-overlapping boundaries than relationships. We are often separated more by Berlin walls than Venn diagrams. There are perhaps four boundaries that separate science-based medicine from those who prefer scams. More, if you are a splitter, I'm kind of a lumper by nature. At work, I like to say I'm an Occam's kind of guy. One boundary separates reality from fantasy. Reality is defined by the description of the natural world provided by the sciences. This quack cast and the science-based medicine blog keeps pounding away at that wall with remarkably little effect. Be it anti-evolution, anti-vaccine, or any other non-reality-based worldview, they appear immune to the facts. It is weird. It took me a long time to realize that for many people, facts are just not that important. For 30 years, I have been working in medical teaching institutions where facts are important. I see, for example, a patient where the surgical intern has treated a staph aureus bacteremia with a short course of IV vancomycin and then changed the patient over to oral clindamycin. And it's MSSA at that. I see a similar case or two at the start of almost every academic year. And I go through all the facts, all the permutations of staph aureus infections and the antibiotics used to treat them. And I go through all the clinical trials to justify my conclusions. I give just the facts, ma'am. And when we are done, I'll tell you, the intern is not going to do that again. Trust me. Nobody wants to sit through me talking about staph aureus for more than once in a career. But in medicine, the facts change what we do, eventually. That never seems to be the case in the scam world. It took me years to understand that although my quack cast entries and my blog entries often focus on facts as a topic... Reality, as I understand it, is, for many, lost on the scam community. Facts do not matter. Facts only serve to support a predetermined worldview, not to alter it. This month, an article was published by the CDC looking at whether autism is caused by too many vaccines in too short a time, the too-much-too-soon hypothesis. 
Dr. Gorski covered this over at Science-Based Medicine. From basic principles, one would not expect the paltry number of antigens in vaccines to be associated with autism, and the study suggests there is no relationship between the number of vaccines and the subsequent development of autism. I was looking forward to an essay at Age of Autism with the title, eh, We Were Wrong, Too Many Too Soon? Failed Hypothesis. I should also like to look forward to an end of global warming and increased Medicare reimbursements. To my knowledge, those who are the topics of this quackcast have never changed their beliefs as a result of a high-quality medical study, which is hard to do even if you are not emotionally invested in the concept studied. The longer I practice medicine, the more effort it takes to practice differently based on new information. In the scam world, where they are immune to reality-based change, which, in the case of anti-vaccine proponents, is a curious phraseology. Another boundary is philosophical, political, moral. It is a weird wall that separates us. I can understand the wish to be free to make your own decisions about your health care. What makes America great is that we get to be stupid anytime we want and to be criticized for it. What I can't wrap my head around is the conspiratorial nature of many of the comments on the Science-Based Medicine blog, that there is a cabal of government pharmaceutical companies and doctors conspiring to hide the truth from people, and that we do it because we are not only greedy, profiting from the medical-industrial complex, but we have evil motives, that we are bad guys. It is a worldview I overheard on vacation. I was wandering around a jewelry shop in Santa Fe, and I overheard a customer telling the poor cashier that, quote, they know what causes cancer and how to cure it, but there is just too much money in the status quo. Now, I do not know how common that worldview is, which to my mind is as fantastical as the precepts of homeopathy, but it is a loud one. The conspiracy is always the last refuge of those who cannot accept the findings of science, as ORAC points out. Quote, they would never publish a study showing vaccines cause autism, end of quote. Sure they would. That's what the CDC does. That is what they have done and will always do if the studies are there. I do not comprehend the conspiratorial approach to the world. I tend to see most people in healthcare, real and alternative, as doing what they think is the right thing for people. I do not see scam proponents of evil, for the most part, there are a couple that might be, just misguided. Scam providers certainly don't see science-based medicine in the same way. Another boundary is the understanding that the fundamental flaws in thinking that define human behavior, all those logical fallacies, apply to everybody, all the time, me and you, all of us. Most of the time, proponents of scams fail to comprehend my favorite observation by Richard Feynman. Quote, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool, end quote. It is odd for those of us at Science-Based Medicine when we have the adjective arrogant applied to us, but I think we are just the opposite. We are all too aware of the numerous ways in which we can think poorly and be fooled. And this ability seems to be lacking in proponents of scams. 
So often in reading a study that allegedly demonstrates the efficacy of one scam or another, there are flaws that allow the researcher or the patient to fool themselves. Blinding is usually an important issue, but it is remarkable how often these flaws go unnoticed. The final boundary is not realizing that the usual standards by which we evaluate the medical literature do not apply when evaluating the alleged effects of scams. The rules of engagement are slightly different for reality than for fantasy-based interventions. Studies of the effects of homeopathy or Reiki or acupuncture are not evaluations of a therapeutic intervention that has an effect on an anatomic structure or a physiologic process. They are best seen as elaborate psychological evaluations of the reaction of people to complicated artificial rituals. They are the medical equivalent of the Stanford Prison Experiment, where patient and doctor follow explicit and subtle cues to behave as if something is occurring that could alter a disease. When evaluating nonsense in a clinical trial, are you doing science? Yeah, just not good science. If the principles you are studying are based on fantasy, like homeopathy or chelation, it is a mummery of science. It is tooth fairy science. I was struck this week by a quote by one of the tact investigators and their inability to recognize in tact tooth fairy science combined with methodological flaws as the flaws were noted by skeptics. Quote, Although skepticism has an important role to play in critical debates, it is easy to overplay that hand. The people you mentioned seem to have a very naive view of science, far removed from the messy realities of the daily work people doing science. It is also important to remember that even the most hardcore science can have some pretty eccentric views when they venture outside their narrow field of expertise. What does that imply about science and the people who wish to guard its borders? There has been a project in philosophy to identify firm demarcation criteria that will allow for a distinction between science and pseudoscience. While some useful work has resulted, the overall attempt has failed. It gets into some deep waters, but the harder the philosophers tried to find that electrified fence that marked off real science from the rest of human thought, the more they undermined the borders of science itself. Interestingly, real scientists rarely worry about whether they are doing science. They consider the question uninteresting, leaving it to philosophers, sociologists, and now the bloggers. Ooh, burn. For three years as a fellow, I tried being a real scientist, involved in investigating the interactions of candida and endothelial cells, and what made the former adhere to the latter. I was also involved in a clinical trial using anti-endotoxin antibody to modify the course of sepsis. I was the Peter Principle personified. It is with good reason I am a clinician. In those days, I never worried about whether I was doing science because candida and endothelial cells are tangible, as are endotoxins and antibodies. I did not try to generate adherence negative candida mutants with NRAs. I used ultraviolet. I did not suppress bacteria in the endothelial cultures with homeopathy. I used antibiotics, and found, by the way, that genomycin inhibits candida. I did not try to alter the pathophysiology of sepsis by altering key. I tried to inactivate bacterial endotoxins. I kept within the rounds of natural reality. The question is not whether real scientists are doing real science, but whether they are doing good science. 
careful evaluation of complex and real phenomena where potential biases and flaws are recognized and controlled for. When you study a real intervention against a real phenomenon, you need not worry quite as much about the potentially confounding issues raised by fantasy. When you are studying nonsense as if it were real, these potentially confounding biases become of paramount importance. What skeptics recognize are, quote, the messy realities of the daily work of people doing science, end of quote, especially as they apply to the scientific evaluation of fantasy-based therapies. Just as the best investigator for psychic powers is a magician, not a physicist, the best critic of a study on nonsense is a skeptic, particularly a skeptical doctor. We are experienced in recognizing the errors that most people either do not consider or often, more importantly, fail to apply to themselves. It is an ongoing curiosity how real scientists become blind to the confounding flaws and even reality when they study scams. So many, when read carefully, are, like my favorite Shakespearean quote, all sound and fury signifying nothing. There are many boundaries between SBM and SCAM. They all seem thicker and taller than when I started quack casting years ago. Then I thought all people needed to know was a little bit about the difference between reality and fiction. A wee bit of education. Let them know why this scam or that is nonsense. And they would say, oh, I see. Then we could all move on. Naive and simplistic, I know. But that is the story of all my intellectual endeavors. The more I know, the more complicated it becomes. Sisyphus had it easy. And that ends the 114th QuackCast. Don't forget to go to my growing multimedia empire of edgydoc.com. And don't forget that the collected essays of the Science-Based Medicine blog are slowly being released as 12 separate volumes available on Amazon, The Nook, and iTunes. So you can read in great detail all the topics we have covered for the first two and a half years of the Science-Based Medicine blog. See you next time. Bye-bye.